I hope that you brought a Bible with you this morning. If you did, I want to invite you to find 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I, I, you know, I've been thinking a lot about what is the church. And I think a lot of folks have different definitions, different understandings of what the church is. And so I want you to think with me this morning, and I want you to question your own heart, your own understanding. What does the word church mean to you? When I was a child, I loved it when my mom would read to me. And, I, and there was one poem that she read to me um, that I fell in love with, and I requested it frequently. It was about six blind men from Indistan. Have you all heard this poem? Six blind men of Indistan who went to see an elephant. Now, I'm not going to read the poem to you because of its length, but it was written by John Godfrey Sachs, but maybe you're familiar with it, maybe you're not. If not, let me just give you, if I can, a brief summary of their discoveries. Remember, they're all blind. The first man fell against the side of the elephant and decided that an elephant was something like a wall. The second man ran his hand over the tusk and deduced that the elephant was like a spear. The third took hold of the trunk and thought an elephant was like a snake, while the fourth touched its leg and decided that an elephant was some sort of tree. The fifth man touched the elephant's ear and determined that an elephant was like a fan. The sixth man grabbed hold of the tail and decided the elephant was like a rope. The poet continued and he he wrote these words. He said, though each was partly in the right, all were in the wrong. Their understanding was based upon their experience, their feeling, their touch. And I've decided we're kind of like that when we start talking about the church, trying to define it, trying to understand it. If we do it based upon our feelings and our touch rather than by the Word of God, we may be partly right, but we're also all going to be partly wrong. So I want us to consider what the church means The word church means based not upon what we feel or what our experiences are, but rather upon what the Word of God says. So if you've got your Bible open to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, I'm going to invite you, if you can and will, to stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Holy Word. We're going to begin reading at verse 1 and read down through verse 9. You follow along with me. Paul Called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes. To the church of God in Corinth. To those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be holy. Together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Their Lord and ours. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank God for you because of his grace given to you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way. And in all your speaking and in all your knowledge. Because our testimony about Christ was confirmed in you. Therefore you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will keep you strong to the end. So that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God who has called you into fellowship with his son Jesus Christ our Lord is faithful. Now if you would look again at verse 2. To the church in Corinth. 
to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be holy, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Would you pray with me? Father, I ask you this morning to bless the reading of your word. I pray that as we spend these moments together, you would speak to our hearts. Help us to understand who we are, who we are called to be, and to whom we belong. Father, I pray for your church in this place and across this land and around this world. That your spirit would blaze in the hearts of your people. That our testimony of your goodness and your grace would be strong. Father, I pray that you would bind us together by the power of your word and the power of your spirit that we might fulfill your purpose and your function within your kingdom. Father, draw to yourself those you desire. May your kingdom flourish. Lord Jesus, come quickly. This is our prayer. And we pray this in the precious name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Descriptions of the church are too often like the descriptions of blind men who put their hands on an elephant. Shaped by what we experience. Shaped by what we feel. All of us experience church in different ways. For some, it's very unique. For some, it's just they've never really even thought about it. It's something they've done from their childhood up, and it's where they go every week, and it's the people that they see and that they know and that they, they love and they have fellowship with. But the world has a very different impression of the church. I'm not really going to worry about what the world thinks this particular time. We're going to be talking about the church for a number of weeks, and and probably some of that's going to come out. But I want us to spend our time together this morning considering these verses that we just read and seeing what we might discover about the church. And probably you're going to say, well, there's not anything that he's going to say that's going to shake my world. Maybe not. But maybe it will make us stop and think more clearly and more consistently about who we are as God's people. Now, you know, in, in talking with people, visiting with people, I've discovered that to some, the church is a place or a building. And I want you to know that, that the church of Jesus Christ is more than a place or a building. All right, I, I had, even Paul here, he writes to the church of God in Corinth. Now, there were some people who would have said, well, you know, I, I belong to the Corinthian church. And they might have traveled far away from there, but said, I belong to the Corinthian church. Their church, in their concept, church was Corinth. You say, well, that doesn't apply to it. Oh, yes, it does. I talk to people all the time who say, well, you know, I grew up in the church at, and they'll name their hometown. And I say, okay, well, where do you belong to church? Oh, I, I belong to the church at. In their minds, the church is in that hometown. Okay, can I tell you something? The church isn't in a place. The church is, because of who God is, virtually universal. And we have to grow to understand that, accept that. Paul wrote his longest and most practical letter to the church at Corinth. 
Now, understand where Corinth was and what it was. Corinth was, is situated on the isthmus that joins northern and southern Greece. It was considered one of the four greatest cities of the Roman age. But this church was intended, it was planted, it was grown by God to be more than just a church for Corinth. God intended for that church to touch the world. Listen, we still do this today. Have you thought about the names of denominations in our world? Hello? Roman Catholic Church. The Church of England. The Presbyterian Church, USA. American Baptists. Man, let's just squeeze the bubble down. Southern Baptists. You know, we, we, we put geographic locations, but can I just say something? None of those groups have confined themselves to a geographical location, even though it's in their name. They have all attempted and done everything they can to try to reach beyond that area and reach out into the world. We need to be very cautious always when it comes to allowing a geographic location or boundary to describe us to the point that it begins to shape our theology of who we are and where we serve and what we are about. The church is universal. It's not held in one location. You've got your Bible. Look at what Paul wrote. Go back to verse 2. To the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be holy together with All those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus. Some of you in this room have gone to other parts of the world. You've traveled on other continents. You have been in church services with brothers and sisters that maybe didn't even speak your language. I remember standing in a pulpit and preaching in St. Petersburg, Russia with a translator right next to me. It was the most amazing and scary experience of my life. But what was so intriguing to me was as I listened to those brothers and sisters sing hymns of the faith, I did not understand their words, but many times I understood the tunes I recognized. We sing that song at home. One God, one faith, one eternity. You see, we may not share the same language here, but I promise you when we stand in the presence of the Lord, we will all speak His language. To all those everywhere. Every day I come here. Every week you come here. We are known as Believers Baptist Church, Wichita, Kansas. It says so on the side of our church van. When we go to camp and we register, we are Believers Baptist Church, Wichita, Kansas. Are we not? Yeah. But can I tell you something? Believers Baptist Church is not just intended for Wichita. It's not intended for just Kansas. God has placed us here to reach the people around us and to extend his kingdom far beyond Wichita, far beyond Kansas, even far beyond the United States. We must remind ourselves that we are commissioned and commanded to go into all the world and make disciples in Jesus' name. Christ's church is more than a place. It's more than a building. Now, in common vernacular, most of us refer to the church as this place. My wife will ask me, where are you going? I'm going out to the church. There's nobody here. I get here and there's nobody, but it's the church. No, it's where the church meets. 
but there's not anybody here. So it's really, I didn't go to the church. I went to the building where the church gathers when they come to worship. My friends, make no mistake, the church is more than walls and floors and lights and carpets and sound. That would have been true in every age, and it still is. Can I just say something about the church in Corinth? They didn't have a church house. They met in homes. They met in places. They, they didn't have any building like what we have. They met in private homes in order to listen to traveling, visiting preachers or to hear someone read the letters from Paul or other church leaders. You can just imagine them, the pale lamplight, reading those letters, and, and, and that was their church. And by the way, it's like that in a lot of places around the world. I promise you today that there are churches meeting in homes. I promise you that today there are churches that meet under trees where there are no buildings. There are churches that meet under what we would term in this part of the country an old brush arbor. There are churches that are meeting in storefronts that have been repurposed and retooled. There are churches that are meeting in all kinds of places. There are churches meeting in campgrounds. There are churches meeting beside lakes. There are churches that meet in every possible location. Why? Because the church is not a building. The church is people. Be very sure you understand that. To some, the church is a place or a building, but that's not right. In reality, the church is of God and is holy. Let's go back to what Paul says here. If it's not a place or building, what is it? In verse 2, he says, to the church of God. It's not us. We are his possession. But the church is of God. Do you realize that in these first nine verses that we read together, Paul refers to Jesus by name or by title ten different times. Ten times. You see, the church is his. The church is of God. It's always centered around, it's founded upon, it's built upon, it is focused upon Jesus Christ. I always get tickled, and I find myself trying to be so cautious, and yet I I fall right over the top of it. But I I get together with pastors, and I I listen to them talk. And, and, you know, well, the church that I have, hello? Brother, if you have a church, you don't got no church. Why? Because the church isn't yours. The church isn't mine. The church is of God. Well, at my church, you don't have a church. You belong to the church. You are a part of the church. The church is of God. If you do a word search, you will find that Paul uses the word ecclesia, church, 22 times in 1 Corinthians. He uses it another nine times in 2 Corinthians. My point is this. Paul spoke more about the church in his letters to Corinth than he did in all of his other epistles combined. And in those letters, he stresses this point over and over and over again. The church is of God. It is his possession. It is his creation. It is his to hold, to have, and to keep. Since the church is of God, it's free. That's why I don't have a problem saying I'm part of the free church movement. Now, please understand, we get really tangled up in our terminology sometimes. And I hope you don't get offended by what I'm about to say. But if you do, take it up with God because I believe it's true according to the Word of God. We speak about the church being autonomous. That means that it, it is 
self-ruling. It is free from any authority here on earth giving it direction. And that is true. But we're really not autonomous. We are theonomous. We're ruled by God. I've had people say, well, we're going to vote. The church is democracy. The church is not a democracy. It is a Christocracy. We are of God. And if He is not ruling, but we are by our own voice, we are not being the church of Jesus Christ. The church does not belong to us. We belong to Him. We're His. And since we are His, there is no place for any factions that are based upon the ideas of a strong leader or a popular idea of a certain group. No, we are of God. And that should be reflected by what Paul says after that. Look again. To the church of God in Corinth. To those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be holy. Sanctified. Man, that's a good word, isn't it? We don't use it much. Sanctified. Sanctified means that someone or something is set apart for a specified purpose. We are sanctified by God. We are set aside for His purpose. We are set aside to glorify His name. We are set aside to be His people in this world. We are set aside to fulfill the calling of His kingdom. And by the way, did you see that word calling? Did you notice that word? It didn't just apply to preachers. It didn't just apply to a select few individuals, a spiritually elite or whatever you would care to call them. It's for everyone who is part of the church. We are of God. We are called. We are sanctified and called to what? Be holy. Every born-again believer is called to holy living. We are all called into kingdom service. When we respond to God's calling for salvation, when we come to Him in repentance and faith, He sanctifies us. He sets us apart for His service, and He calls us to live a holy lifestyle. Now, I, I just, you say, why are you making such a big deal about this? I want you to get what is fixing to happen here. Think about this in the context of the letter. Isn't it amazing that Paul would write to the church in Corinth and call them sanctified and holy. How could he do that? Have you ever read this letter? Divisions and factions. Infighting. They, they, were, they, were, they were bringing lawsuits against one another in the courts in town. Sexual immorality. Incest in the church. And everybody knows about all these things that are going on. It's not like it's secrets hidden in the dark. No, everybody knows. They would come together to celebrate the Lord's Supper and people would get drunk. Sanctified and holy. Most of us would say, not me, I'm getting up walking out of this place. These people are nuts. Maybe you felt like that about a church you've been in before. How could he say that? simple. Paul understood something that we tend to forget too often in our self-righteousness. The words sanctified and holy do not define a perfection that we live in 
but rather they define a process of growth and change that we have been called into and that the Spirit of God is guiding us through. It does not mean that we're perfect. We're not. And we're not going to be. But it does mean that we understand we are His and we are trying to grow. We're going to fall down. We have to repent and get up. It's not based upon who we are or what we do, but rather it's based upon who God is and what He is doing in our lives every day. The church is of God. Sanctified and called to be holy. That's who we are. Let me take us one step further. Got your Bible open? I want you to understand that finally, the church is a community of grace and anticipation. Say, what do you mean a community of grace? The church is created in grace. We as the individual parts, as believers, we are created in grace. We don't deserve God's love. We don't deserve his forgiveness. We don't deserve his mercy. We don't deserve salvation. No. What do we deserve? We deserve condemnation and judgment and destruction and wrath. But in his grace, look at verse 3. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is praying for them to experience grace and peace from God. Verse 4, I always thank God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. Folks, don't ever get to thinking about yourself that I am somebody because I am so good God accepted me. Because I want you to know something. You are not so good that he accepted you. And you are not somebody. You are nobody. But in his grace, he has loved you. Grace. God's unmerited, unearned, undeserved favor. I've said it many times. My favorite acrostic of grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. We get everything the Father can give us by way of inheritance, but the Son paid for it all. It's God's riches at Christ's expense given to us. That's what grace is. And these people that Paul is writing to, they had disgraced themselves by their actions, by their lifestyles. And instead of chastising them, Paul pronounces God's grace as a blessing upon them. There's a lesson here for us because, you see, Too often we, the church, the people who've been born of grace, are slow or even fail to show grace to those around us who fall and fail. Showing grace to one another is an amazing thing what it does. (laughs) It erases So much of the pettiness that rises up between us. It eliminates so much of the discord that comes when we have different opinions. It heals and brings together so many of the divisions that occur whenever we all have our own ideas. And can I just tell you something? Pettiness and discord and division tear at the very fabric of the church. 
Why should it be different than that? Well, because we're a community of grace, and we who've experienced grace should give grace. Shouldn't we? Okay, a few of you got it. Maybe the rest of you can think about this this afternoon. If we've experienced grace, we ought to extend grace. But let me tell you one other thing, because you're looking, you're saying, but what about this word anticipation? We should be living in grace because we are living in anticipation of what God has in store for us. Okay? I I want you to look down a little deeper. Get to the end here. Verse 7. Let's go down there. He says, Therefore you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will keep you strong to the end so that you will be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God has given us all of these gifts to work with. He has given us gifts. He has given us talents. He has given us abilities. He has given us everything we need within the church to accomplish his will, to be his people on mission in his kingdom. And then Paul follows this up with a reminder saying, God is faithful to keep those who are his to the end, to the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's not going to turn you loose. You may mess up, you may screw up, you may fall flat on your face and need help getting up, but I want you to know something, God will not turn you loose. If you're His, He will keep you to the very end. I want to ask you a question, does that describe our faith? Does it describe your faith? Church, I want you to hear something. Thirteen years ago today, I stood here for the first time as your pastor. Some of you educated me well as to the history of the congregation that I came and joined that was five years old. I embraced that history and I've tried to be part of that history and help you write a history as we move forward. God has done some amazing things, but there are still many amazing things that lie ahead of us. And I want you to understand something. I want you to hear my heart right now. We cannot live our lives today or tomorrow or in the future based upon a glorious past. We have to live today and the future based upon the knowledge that Jesus is coming. He has extended grace to us. He has given us a calling and a mission and a purpose. And we must live that out every day if we are going to honor him with our lives. If the church does not look forward but spends all of its time looking backward, the day will arrive, the trumpet will sound, shout will ring out and the church will say oops church I love you but being the church is not about what's back there being the church is about what's up ahead so I'm asking you where you're looking today Paul's words should remind us 
that God's purpose for God's people is that we would live God's future the way he has laid it out for us. He has entrusted us with the good news of Jesus Christ. He's, he, he's tattooed it on our hearts by extending his grace to us and allowing it to change us. But now he wants us to take that grace and that gospel and impact the world around us with it. We can't live in the past. We have to walk boldly into the future. And I just want to tell you something. If you'll do it, if we go together, if we'll lock our arms and go where he leads us together in the days ahead, it will be better than anything we can imagine. The world around us is lost and dying. The church of Jesus Christ too often is happy to say, that's our building. That's the reason that so much of the world today says the church is irrelevant. The church doesn't mean anything in today's culture. I got a newsflash for you. The world is wrong. The church of Jesus Christ from day one to today and going forward until the last day. The church of Jesus Christ is relevant. The message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the redemption of mankind, the salvation of souls, and the changing of lives is relevant today. It will be relevant until Jesus calls us home. But we have to be the church. I remember as a kid trying to figure this thing out. Here's the church. Here's the steeple. Never got this part right. Open the doors and see all the people. No, 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 no. Here's the church building. And here's its steeple. Open the doors. You'll find the church. God's people. Are you part of the church? Are you letting God work in you and through you the way he desires? Maybe it's time. The world is waiting. Here we are. It's time to make a difference. Why? Because he has called us. He has sanctified us. And he stands ready to use us. If we will offer ourselves to him as a living sacrifice. Let's bow our heads together. In just a moment, we're going to stand together and sing a, a song of invitation. For no other reason than this, I want to give you the opportunity to respond. I don't know what God may have said to you. I don't know what... Perhaps we read or what was spoken or what the Spirit of God said into your head and your heart that has touched you this morning. But if something has struck a chord, struck a nerve, and you need to respond in some way, maybe you need to respond just simply by talking to God right where you are. You can do that. Maybe you need to feel the need to come to this altar and fall before God and say, Lord, I, I haven't been 
acting as a part of the church. I haven't been serving. I haven't been living like I'm supposed to. I, I know that. You're calling me to that. I, I want to surrender to that. You can do that. The altar is open. Maybe you want someone to pray with you. I'd be happy to do that. Maybe you're sitting here and you're saying, I, I'm not a part of the church of Jesus Christ. I don't have a relationship with Jesus. I know about him. I've heard all the stories. I know about him and I know what he did, but I've never understood that needs to be personal to me. Well, my friends, it is. That's what it should be, personal. You see, salvation is not about a church. Salvation is not about a denomination. Salvation is not about a preacher. Salvation is about an individual surrendering their life to Jesus Christ and accepting his free gift. And maybe today he's calling you to that. So whatever it is he may be speaking to your heart, I want to give you the opportunity to respond. We won't be a long time, but if you need to respond, I'm going to invite you to come in a moment when we stand and sing. Pray with me. Father, I thank you this morning for your word. I thank you for the church. As I read, as I study, I begin to understand more and more what it costs you to establish this church. The sacrifice of your son. The one who said, I will build my church. And he has. Not bricks and mortar. Not concrete and carpet. People. The redeemed of the Lord. Blood-bought saints of the living God. Bought and paid for by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, his only begotten son. That's the church. And Father, this morning... I pray for your church. I pray that if there are those in this room who are not a part of the church, they've never surrendered their hearts and lives to you, I pray that your spirit would call them, draw them. Father, invite them into your family. For your people in this room. No matter who they are, what their age, no matter what their role, I pray, Father, that you would place upon each one of us a burden to find our place of ministry and service, to fulfill our role within the body of Christ, that every part might work together in union to accomplish your purpose in making the name of Jesus known across this land and around this world. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for speaking to us. I pray now that your spirit would draw that your will would be done. For I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.